The House of Roll journeys far and wide to bring you exceptional quality kitchen and bath fixtures. We've discovered the world's best craftsmen and techniques. Using materials native to the region and tools accustomed to individual craftsmen, we strive for perfection every step of the way. With all of this, you'll see the details of your own story, the story of a life well-crafted. This is the story Craft tells. Welcome to the House of Roll. of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my country. for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. And welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour in the middle of this three-day President's Weekend. There are a whole lot of people in politics and in the media whose purpose is to inflame your passions rather than to reason with you. My purpose is different. I've come to inform you, to give you information that will enable you to make an independent judgment on current events and to encourage you to act on that judgment. Our conversation with Eric early a couple of weeks ago is still in Facebook jail, but you can listen to it and to the listener responses at reimagineamerica.org. Just click on the radio tab. But we will not be deterred. I've had a lot of email and several conversations that jumped off from that original conversation and the listener feedback. And those emails and conversations are troubling. And that's why we're going to continue with Eric and with other people to explore the topic of diversity, unity, and resisting the attempts to paint all people by the color of their skin or the language they speak rather than the content of their character. If you want to see a good, really entertaining movie, that illustrates how faith in one another, about looking beyond the surface, about people you come into contact with who can help you to break down the stereotypes. Go and see Upside. It's, um, It's entertaining, but it also has a very distinct message. But I digress. Wait, 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 wait. Who's an Upside? Uh, Brian Cranston. And what's, what's it about? Um, he pay, he plays a quadriplegic billionaire. Ah, you know who hires a, a guy Kevin played Hart. by Kevin Hart. Okay, yeah, to be his aide, and so Kevin Hart, the character, is just out of prison, and I mean it's it's stereotypical the very wealthy West Ender and the and the guy from the projects and the gang influences and you know trying to go get straight and how they help each other get out of the boxes they're in 
um, with Nicole Kidman playing um, the supporting role, and then um, one scene. Oh, she's so hot. She is. I mean, you know. She's like a fine wine. She just keeps getting hotter. Yes. But Anyways. she works at it. Trust me. And you can see, you know, it's kind of it's kind of interesting when you see like a magazine cover of any of these aging movie stars and how they look so perfect. When you see them in a movie, I'm going, oh, God, she's got the same problem in the back I do. We're both runners. Uh, <laughs> but, All right. Yeah, I'll, ch- I'll check that out. Yeah, it was it was really fun. It was really fun. Um, but I mean, Cranston's performance should it should be Oscar worthy. I mean, it was it was incredible, but but it's a very good illustration that when you stop thinking about the stereotypes, how most of us have much more in common in terms of aspiration and love and family and all of those things that we think we hold dear, we're more similar than different. And I think that's a real, you know, you can overcome the the stereotypes. So it was a it was a fun movie. But we're digressing because you know what? There are some numbers we need to talk about this week and some other things that we might get to that are kind of funny. Um, We've avoided a second government shutdown. Um, What's really in that border budget deal and how at least some of it got there is something we should talk about. Seven trillion dollars. That's what proponents tell us that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's Green New Deal would cost. Like Nancy Pelosi's reaction to the Green New Deal resolution, Green Dream or whatever. Because $7 trillion is, would, wouldn't even be the down payment on the economic disaster that that plan would be. Three and a half months until the printing presses roll on the 2020 census. So let's just quick quickly say that the Supreme Court has agreed to an expedited hearing on restoring the citizen question on the census form. And we're going to hear a lot more about that. But I thought it was worth bringing it into the conversation right now just to make you aware uh, and yes, Justice Ginsburg was on the bench when they decided to take that case. Um, I think it will be important to see how the court rules. And I don't have a problem. Until 1950, they always asked about citizenship. And and since the survey is really anonymous, it should give us a count. It might be a very comforting number. We might find we have fewer... Um, undocumented aliens in the country than we think we do, um, and that would be uh, help us to get to a permanent solution faster. But in any case, we'll be keeping a uh, track of that rather than really um, talking about it in detail this morning. Governor Newsom has issued his first state of the state message. I thought it was the first speech of his reelection campaign. There's something for everybody to love in that speech. But that's part of the problem. And then there are some things to think about that we can't even quantify. But we're going to take a second, if we have time, to talk about herding cats at L.A. City Hall. Wait, herding cats or hurting cats? Herding. 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 I heard heard that's really hard to do. uh, Yes, it is difficult. But, you know, um, Garcetti would like to be president. So let's see if he can herd some cats. I think um, um, that 
I, I think it'd be interesting to watch. But but wait, you know, hold that thought because we're going to get to that in the closing segment. Because I always love to leave you laughing. I was going to talk for a minute about Representative Omar, Michigan Fifth District um, uh, Rep, who cost me who cost me several Twitter Twitter followers this week, but. We may have to leave that for another for another day. Um, she worries me um, in in more than one way. Um, that woman should not be on the Foreign Relations Committee, and that's something that all of us need to watch because as we talk about, you know, getting your information, forming your opinion, and then doing something about this. This is one of those areas where we Californians need to absolutely deluge Nancy Pelosi's phone lines. But as I say, I think we'll probably get to that next week in in a bit more detail. So let's talk about this budget deal. Let's start with the good news. And there is good news in that budget deal. There is no government shutdown today. Tourists are all over Washington, D.C. They're spending money. They're paying tips, etc. Eighth graders from all over the United States will be able to visit the museums and monuments this week. The national parks are open and staffed for the holiday weekenders that are expected. Food stamp recipients and Meals on Wheels elderly don't have to worry where their next meal is coming from. Farmers will get their seed money in time to plant. And Native Americans will receive uninterrupted educational health care and other benefits awarded them in their 19th century treaties with the U.S. government. And you can fly through TSA, especially if you have TSA pre on a holiday weekend. And the president? The president was pictured on Saturday morning at the omelet bar at Mar-a-Lago in his golf attire. And if that man weighs 243 pounds, that doctor was generous. And we'll be back in just a moment to talk about the facts of the deal. You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back with the border security problem. Fencing along the southern border, where it makes sense, in the urban centers, for example, has been going on for quite some time. And um, it's there's always building. There has been some building. I mean, it's been going on since before uh, the turn of the century. Um, and just this week, a three-judge panel in a, an appeals court, federal uh, appeals court panel, ruled against California, um, uh, who was protesting a new wall at San Ysidro and along the Southern California border. And the court ruled against them. And let's face it, that um, that wall's almost built, okay? Um, 
they've got replacement fencing that's already finished in Calexico. They've got construction that's almost complete on a 14-mile section of the barrier in San Diego, and work is about to start on another length of that. And the Border Patrol agent in charge in San Diego took a bunch of reporters on a tour this week, and it's not a barrier in the sense of, you know, big concrete wall. It's a wall, But you know what? It's a wall with embedded sensors. So it helps the Border Patrol agents to identify attempted crossers, know exactly where to go, and get there in time to apprehend them. And it's really not an ugly. It looks a lot like the kind of fencing you or I would put in our front yards. In fact, the fencing in my front yard is is a lot higher and a lot denser than what they were showing us. But in any case, Wall is being built in the areas where it's needed, you know, and what they're doing in San Diego is building redundant walls so that it's like if you've ever seen high hurdlers race where you have to get over several barriers. Um, And so that's what they're trying to do is make put in more um, barriers to a migrant getting to the point where they can say they have set foot in the United States. The agent in charge said the fences are necessary, and they allow his personnel to focus on the areas of highest vulnerability. Uh, And reporters at the border quizzed 27 people that they met, just randomly walked up to people and said, what do you think about fencing at the border? And yes, one, 25 to two. So building some barriers in urban areas where it makes sense is popular. The underlying message that the Border Protection and Customs Service was trying to um, get out was that technology and barriers help the, the, the patrol to do more protection with limited staffing. And the border agent also made the point that because of the nature of the people that we're seeing cross the border, these migrants who have been through this very rough journey, there are a lot of health issues. And so he loses about 40 agents a day to um, local area hospital trips, um, escorting migrants who are being held in, in detention. And that is, as he said, not an effective use of his resources. So to him, that's a major problem that needs to be resolved. Um, it is, however, a compelling human interest story in the media, and it's used by immigration rights professionals to sway public opinion, but to say that the Border Protection Service does not provide adequate health care. So what's in the deal that we are not going to like so much? There is bad news. But the bad news is really more bad news for President Trump. He rejected a $25 billion package for border security that would have exchanged for the $25 billion package uh, protections for DREAMers, not just for people who are currently getting DACA deferment benefits, but as well as, uh, as some relief from the temporary status of people who fled Haiti after the earthquake and the Northern Triangle of Central America after a series of hurricanes left a lot of area uninhabitable, uninhabitable a wasteland. But the president, in the last minute, blew up that deal. Before Congress, before Christmas, Congress came back and offered $1.6 million for the border wall inside the broader package of border security enhancement dollars. And President Trump refused to sign the legislation. Thus, we had a 35-day government shutdown. 
and more than a million government workers who missed two paychecks at the holiday season. And after that, what did the president get? Well, he signed a bill this week with only $1.3 billion in it for his wall. I don't know of a nice way to say this. They tried to make light of it last night on Saturday Night Live. But the Democrats read the polls. A bunch of very professional veteran lawmakers. You don't sit on appropriations if you've just come to Congress. They're very sophisticated um, legislators. And they did the sensible thing. They called in the experts. They called the commissioner for border protection, et cetera. He was a career official. And they said, what do you need? What do you really need to secure the border? And that is largely what is in the bill. And it falls along the lines of what the American population writ large wants. It's what the polls tell us that most Americans agreed with. $1.3 billion for 55 very specific miles of new fencing in urban areas identified by the Border Protection Services as critical and vulnerable. Now, where I really am applauding is they increased to $564 million the, the appropriation for scanning and x-ray equipment at all the ports of entry to properly scan all the trucks and cars crossing the border both ways. What does that do? Well, first it cuts down on human smuggling. That's where you're going to see most of the, um, you know, the human um, exploitation activities taking place. And you remember the 264 pounds of fentanyl we found. $564 million will give Border Protection the ability to find more illicit drugs because they can then screen every single truck coming across the border. Now, that means El Chapo's successor, because El Chapo won't be back in the business for <clears throat> ever, um, will have to find different routes. The more difficult it is to bring in drugs, the more uh, expensive they become, and, and the more we can begin to address, for the consumer, that is, and the more we can, one, interdict the more difficult ways, i.e. submarines and boats and so forth, that they try to get drugs into the country, okay? But also because if it's more expensive, fewer people are going to be able to afford it. We're going to save lives. We're going to save, a, we're going we're gonna to more than when you think 70,000 people died of drug overdoses in this country last year alone, $554 million is pennies on the dollar for the lives that will be saved and the drug smugglers we will catch. So, because I want to finish up on this before we go to break, $191 million, they're going to do more construction at the ports of entry. They're going to create more barriers so that migrant caravans, you know, like we saw the thing before Christmas where they use the tear, tear gas, what they want to do is put up more daunting barriers so that they won't have to use tear gas and in order to protect border um, protection service officers from, um, you know, these surging uh, groups of people. 
And that's a good use of money. $100 million for cameras, sensors, face recognition, and other technology tools at both the northern and southern borders. We keep forgetting that we've caught more terrorists coming through Canada than we have through Mexico. But so this helps to alleviate that because we get faster identification of repeat offenders. We identify any known terrorists, anybody who's on the no-fly list, and we can track the movement outside of ports of entry sooner, and we can get border protection agents out there sooner and, and prevent uh, human trafficking and, um, and illicit drug traffic. There's $127 million for additional patrol boats and aircraft to patrol those deserts and along the Rio Grande River. And there's $414 million for humanitarian aid. That is money to care for migrants in U.S. custody. And you know what? That almost sank the deal. And that's probably a good place to take a break, pay the bills, and then we'll come back and talk about why that $414 million is so important in this deal. Now, back to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're back with the part of the new border security arrangement that almost sank the deal. $414 million for humanitarian aid. Another way to say that is $414 million to house detained migrants. The Trump administration wants to end catch and release by adding more capacity to detain migrants in the asylum process. And the Democrats want to reduce the number of beds. That would expand catch and release. You know, I don't get it. I'm really struggling with this. Because you see, either you are for a strong southern border and for legal immigration, or you're in favor of open borders and anybody can come in regardless and we'll take care of them. Because what happens when you catch and release is, and you tell these people to show up in immigration court sometime in the future, is that they cut off the ankle bracelet and just, you know, disappear into the population. And somewhere between 80 and 97% of those people who are caught and released never show up for their immigration hearing. And... That's not a you can't be a sovereign nation that way. I'm sorry. You just cannot. So the Democrats, the the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, um, withheld their votes from this deal if the expand if beds were expanded to to um, build housing and to actually detain more um, undocumented aliens. I think you have to do that along with more border judge, more, you know, um, Uh, immigration administration judges, so that you can manage these cases more quickly. So that if somebody has a credible claim to asylum, that's not a credible fear threat first level um, uh, selection criteria, but a credible fear um, of a, a credible 
claim for asylum, we can get that asylum for them and release them more quickly. And if they don't have a credible claim to asylum, we make sure we keep our hands on them until we're able to deport them along with their children. But that almost sank the deal. So you can thank Nancy Pelosi, who put her firm hand on the heads of some of these young um, crazy progressives who are too big for their britches. Uh, and we've got to deal with more beds in it. The bills also got some, uh, will expand the Border Protection Service by 600 agents. And most importantly, it provides $500 million for economic development in the Northern Triangle. The end of this problem will be as the end of the Mexican problem has been, the opportunity to work and live in relative comfort and safety in your own home country. People don't undertake this journey just because, well, very few, just because they think life in L.A. will be luxurious, quote, unquote, one Salvadorian woman who's very disappointed. But um, most of these people are come from areas which are food insecure, et cetera. And the U.S. government has done a lot to help them, but this is another half billion dollars to start businesses, to create opportunity for these people in the Northern Triangle, and to provide, help their governments provide security for them. And that will end the crisis. That's the only way to end the crisis. The problem with this whole arrangement, it sounds like a pretty good balanced deal to me. You know, it takes years and years and years, by the way, to build that 55 miles of wall that's appropriated in this legislation. Okay, you have to go and you have to acquire the land. Lots of times it's in private hands and there are issues of eminent domain in Texas particularly. It has a very negative impact on ranchers who've been ranching this land since the um, late 1700s. Um, you know, you call the border La Frontera. I mean, it, it has its kind of own unique and, and very colorful culture. Um, but these ranchers their cattle get water from the Rio Grande River. So if you put a fence there, um, you're taking some of their land and you're limiting their um, ability to, um, the number of heads that they can have on, sustain uh, in a semi-arid climate because they don't have access to the river. So there are lots and lots of issues. So that 55 miles of wall will not be built in the next two years. It'll probably be five years from now. So you could go back once you've started this, if you have a proven need, you can go back in your next budget and ask for another 1.3, et cetera. Uh, trust me, you can, you can get barriers put in places you need them, but it takes years. I mean, the money that's being spent right now in San Diego was appropriated in the uh, first term of Obama. That's how long it takes the government to um, actually go through its environmental and appropriation and approval cycle and bidding and so on and so forth before a shovel ever gets put in the ground to begin to dig a post hole. So 1.3 million is 55 more miles where Border Protection says it needs it. But unfortunately, Mitch McConnell was unable to persuade the president that um, this was a good deal. 
he persuaded him that not signing it would be a really bad thing. It would it would be um, you know play into the hands of the Democrats. But he failed to persuade him that indeed he could come back next year and ask for more money for more fencing, and that um, you know that would that that would be the smarter legislative solution. So what did the president do? He declared a national emergency. He went into the Rose Garden and held a press conference. And here's just a snip of what the president said about his border wall, about his national emergency for the border wall. I want to do it faster. I could do the wall over a longer period of time. I didn't need to do this, but I'd rather do it much faster. And he, he's right. He expected a court challenge. There are already three and more coming. There is a resolution in Congress that is very likely to pass. Now, the president's already said he's going to veto it, which overrides his national emergency. So let's talk about what a national emergency really is. It's important for you to understand what is a national emergency? Well, for example, off the top of my head, Obama declared one during Hurricane Sandy. We're still trying to recover if you've um, listened to or followed what um, uh, Chris Christie. Um, recovery from Sandy is not complete or or Bloomberg, et cetera, that we have never, we have not yet completed the recovery from Sandy. President Bush declared two national emergencies. The first was 9-11. The second was Katrina. Those were emergencies that required the support of the United States military to save lives and the national security when all three of those situations was at risk. This is not a comparable situation. So what it's going to end up in is a court fight that will end in the Supreme Court where you have five institutionalists, five originalists, five people who read the language of the Constitution and say that is the governing document. And in that document, it says only the president, only the Congress of the United States can appropriate money. It does not allow the President of the United States to decide that he is going to take $8 million, billion dollars from other sources, military sources, for a civilian project. So that wall, those 55 miles, remember I just said it takes years to get 55 miles built? Well, you're not even going to start the process of determining the survey for those 55 miles during the first term of the Trump administration. So this was an election stunt, and I fear it will blow up in the president's face in the Supreme Court. But that's years down the line. And in the meantime, it did one more thing. It earned President Trump a primary challenge, at least in New Hampshire. Former, former Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld, very popular in New Hampshire, loaded. I mean, the man has more money, inherited money than, you know, I mean, he can afford to do this. He is going to challenge 
Trump now in New Hampshire. And you know what else? Ted Cruz, if you caught him on YouTube yesterday, looks like a guy who thinks, I've got six years in the Senate. I can afford to take a a run at this again. I think there will be at least two challengers. And we'll be back in just a moment to talk about the Green New Deal, because we need some humor. You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. You know, if if some of you have a different view of the national emergency, we're always interested in hearing it. I have a question. Yeah. Has he even signed this thing yet? Yep. He's sec- he's technically signed it. He technically signed it okay. as soon as he got out of the Rose Garden and then he took off to play golf for three days. Okay. And Bill Weld, that's the same guy who was Gary Johnson's running mate last time around, right? Yes. Very successful, very popular uh, former governor of Massachusetts. And he's only going to challenge him in, in New Hampshire, you said? No. He is going to challenge No. He, he announced a primary challenge, but the first primary state is New Hampshire. Oh, so, so he's not going to do caucuses? He's just going to do primaries? He's, I don't know if he's going to go to Iowa. We, okay. The, the important thing for him is that he is very popular in New Hampshire uh-huh. and that there are a lot of former Bostonians who love him who are in New Hampshire. Okay. And if you think back to 1992, uh, it was uh, George H.W. Bush almost got beaten by, uh, what's his name? I can't remember the guy's name. Um, a right-wing conservative, uh, Buchanan, Pat Buchanan, oh. um, in New Hampshire. And that was what set up everything that happened thereafter with the, with the Perot candidacy, et cetera, that made Bill Clinton president. Wow. So Pat Buchanan has... Has, uh, has has kind of been a semi thorn in the side of both Bush campaigns. Yep. <laughs> yep. Interesting. I met him once in the in the uh, red carpet club at O'Hare. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Seems like a nice guy. Yeah, he was very pleasant. He was he was very nice. Um, but you know he is a firebrand. Um. On certain issues, but what he did, what happens in New Hampshire, is you demonstrate the strength or weakness of a uh, candidate, especially in a re-election situation. I mean, look what New Hampshire did um, last time. I mean, it made it it put Trump in first place to run with a with a plurality, not a majority of the vote, but that plurality was enough to take him into South Carolina, where even the popularity of um, the Bush name and the Bush brothers, et cetera, was not enough to overcome um, Jeb's um, negatives, which are largely, you know, that he's a really quiet guy. He's not as as um, he is not in real life as gregarious as his older brother. Uh, so, um, and and even, even, you know, W stepping in didn't change the dynamic, 
that the plurality of votes went to Trump. And that was when Christie said, it's over. This is, you know, the, in terms of the primary, everybody else should just go home. And so if, if well does well in New Hampshire, and clearly Ted, Kent, Ted Cruz yesterday was all over the unconstitutionality of this emergency order. And in fact, the acting secretary for defense has not yet said, has said, I have not yet decided whether or not, um, you know, I, I can follow this directive. I, I think in the end, what will happen is it will, it will create um, divisions in the party because there will be a resolution in two weeks that will force about, and about 10 um, Republicans already seem to be leaning toward supporting it, which means it would pass the 60-vote threshold um, in the Senate. And, and all of those things, you know, they tear a little bit at a time at the majesty, power, um, incumbency value in a re-election. And so um, it's quite, it's quite um, notable that there is actually going to be a formal challenge. And well, does another one of these guys like Schultz or Bloomberg who can, or Cuban who can self-fund. I think Mark Cuban should run, you know? Uh, he and Schultz would make a really powerful uh, team. Schultz is the thoughtful one and Cuban can get the crowds. Uh, but they're both extraordinarily smart. Um, but in any case, that is, there is now a formal challenge, and that's what it means. <clears throat> so we'll see what happens. Um, and then we're all going to talk about the Green New Deal. Even Trump will find some things in the Green New Deal to love, because it's 14 pages of blather. Um, more that's really more like a high school te term paper that I would not give, uh, that I'd probably give a C to um, than a resolution for the Congress. Um, but, you know, it's, it's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who this week managed to truly anger, I was going to use another, another term, but it wouldn't be ladylike, um, Jeff Bezos, I mean, you know, she has a starring role in the decision of Amazon not to bring 25,000 jobs to New York State. Now, I, I think the richest company in the world should have given $3 billion in exchange for some of the stuff that they wanted rather than ask for $3 billion to come there because they could make a really positive impact <coughs> in Long Island, in her district. But... She manages, I mean, she's like Trump's apprentice. She really is. You know, she opens her mouth and every camera comes. And what comes out doesn't always advance the cause of rational discussion. But we digress. So we've got about three or four minutes. So let's talk about the Green New Deal. Because there is something in it for everybody to love it. And, you know, that's all five of the, of the announced. Oh, sorry. As of today, it's six announced candidates on the Democratic side. Bernie Sanders finally jumped in yesterday, have said, well, you know, it's a good idea, blah, 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 in principle. <clears throat> but as Amy Klobuchar put it so well, 
we would really have to work the details through the legislative process. So it ain't going to happen, folks. Mom and apple pie, good jobs, recreation, high wages. Here's what's wrong with this uh, high school term paper. You know, statistics are wonderful things, but you can misuse them, and that's what they've done. So all these things are true. The national, fourth national climate assessment found that human activity is the dominant cause of climate change and that the climate is causing sea levels to rise and we have less ice. We've talked about all these things. But when you mix apples, that's the responsibility that the United States of America has with oranges. That's the global responsibility. We're only about 20% of the problem. And we've been working diligently for 20 years to reduce that carbon footprint, and we've been effective. So numbers like $500 billion in lost economic activity in the United States by $2,100, that's a global figure. That's not a national figure. Our economy is, you know, it's, it's not that big. <clears throat> Global warming at about above 2 degrees Celsius um, would cause mass migrations from regions most affected by climate change. True, but it's not a U.S. problem. It's Asia, India, Africa, Greenland. As their contention that 350 million, 350 million more people will expose, be displaced exposed to deadly heat by 2050. We're talking about Dallas being having about three more really hot days of summer. We are talking about areas of desert, wildfires. Hey, you know, not all wildfires are caused by nature. That's why PG&E is in bankruptcy. California is not waiting. We've got, you know, the governor, thank you, is, is working hard on uh, on fixing um, problems in the forest of getting uh, in, in advance of this. And when it comes to coral reefs, the U.S. is way ahead of the rest of the world in restoring coral reefs, not destroying them. And yes, we need an infrastructure plan. But you know what? All of this discussion about solar and wind and and, you know, no airplanes and all of this stuff is, do you know what? What do you think petroleum jelly is made out of? Petroleum. What do you think plastics are made out of? Drugs, cosmetics, all kinds of stuff. So even if we had 100% renewable energy, we would still need fossil fuels. So we need to find an accommodation Okay, so summing it up in one question, the Green New Deal, a government-run plan for energy and transportation, etc. Do you like the way the VA works? Do you want to turn the entire economy over to people who like the people who run the VA? So the Green New Deal is no deal at all. Its goals are admirable. But this is a function of, of a nation not a, and a world, not a government. And we'll be back with a couple of closing thoughts about herding cats.
to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 860 AM, The Answer. And we've got about two and a half minutes left. So very quickly, the L.A. Times reports that there is a rat problem at City Hall. No, not just the one the FBI is investigating. There is a real rat problem that's resulted in actual typhus cases in the city attorney's office. So the causes are many, but the first thing you got to do, I mean, there are lots of homeless people in that neighborhood. Okay. So you got to clear out, you know, what do you do? How do you deal with rats? Okay. Well, here's an idea. The first thing you do is close the building for a couple of days, a holiday weekend. You exterminate the rats. You know, you put traps out all over. Um, You bring in professionals. You clean it out. And then, and this is an idea they've actually thought about bringing in cats. Okay. Well, it turns out there were about 300 cats left after the campfire. Uh, We've been unable to reunite the cat with its owner. So these are house kitties. So why not take a group of them? You know, they've gotten to be friends, right? And we could scatter them around all the offices in City Hall. They'd become the, you know, the district attorney uh, cat family, et cetera. And, And some in the mayor's office. And you'd have no more rats. And just think how much more friendly people would be at LA City Hall. I mean, that's a practical solution. We've got about a minute left. So next week, I'm going to try to bring you a live report on the California Republican uh, Party convention. And in the meantime, um, if you have a comment or a topic, you can send me an email at Joyce at reimagineamerica.org or a tweet at Joyce Cordy, all small letters. Remember, we're independent and nonprofit. You can hear a repeat of this program at reimagineamerica.org or at 860theanswer. And we'll see you next week with, we hope, a live report from Sacramento. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.